You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining me today, as always. I appreciate everybody listening in and hope you would encourage your friends and neighbors and family to listen to the show. And remember, we do the show live at 4 o'clock Eastern every Wednesday. But then within 24 to 36 hours after that, the show is archived on the website, America's Web Radio. You go to my page there, Our Constitution with Michael Connolly. And at that point, you can listen in to the archive shows. You can do that, <clears throat> excuse me, anytime you want to. So that's something we encourage people to do. And you can also take that link. And if you've listened to a show that you particularly enjoy and want others to listen to, you can take that link and send it to them, and they can listen in to the archive show. So we're you know we're trying to increase our number of listeners, so we get. We're getting good response from people. Uh, we're having more and more top-notch guests on. And we're right now waiting for a good friend of mine, Larry Pratt, of Gomes of America, to, to call in. He seems to be running a little bit late. But I'm sure he'll, we'll get to him in a few minutes. But in the meantime, <clears throat> I want to encourage everybody to listen to the show every week and to go to my blog at www.michaelconnelly.com. Uh, com, and read my blog articles because I'm putting them up fairly frequently, more frequently than I have been in the past because of everything that's happening in this country and all the dangers this country faces and the dangers our Constitution faces. Uh, I put up a blog just the other day called The New, New Bigotry, and uh, basically that article is about the alarming trend and this is not just among Democrats that's expected out of the progressives to a certain extent, but also they're talking about it on Fox News, and some Republicans are bringing it up. And basically what they're saying is that Trump supporters, and again, remember, I'm not endorsing anybody for President of the United States because I'm Executive Director of the United States Justice Foundation, which is a 501c3, and uh, as such... We cannot endorse political candidates. That doesn't mean we can't criticize candidates. That doesn't mean we can't talk about issues where the candidates stand. And in the situation with uh, Donald Trump, people who support him are being categorized by Hillary Clinton as deplorables and unredeemable. And why are they deplorable? Well, because they're racist or sexist or... Islamophobic or homophobic or, you know, all types of different categories that she throws in there. They're anti-immigration, and so these are, these are all deplorables. But lately, they've also been categorizing Trump supporters as primarily uneducated or undereducated white men. So we have a whole new bigotry developing here, and that is if you're white, and you didn't go to Harvard, or you didn't go to Yale, or you didn't go to Stanford, or any of the Ivy League, or West Coast exclusive schools, then you're too dumb to even be allowed to vote for President of the United States. I've got two degrees, but they're from LSU. You know, not one of the, the Ivy League schools, obviously. I've got a degree, undergraduate degree in business and public administration, 
and I got my law degree there. That doesn't make me any more qualified to vote than my neighbors, who are ranchers and farmers and welders. Some of them went to college, some of them didn't. It doesn't matter if you went to school or where you went to school. You are an American citizen. You have a right to vote. And you should not be seeing your right basically challenged or your vote discounted because of who you are or what your education is. Interestingly, that the progressives have always loudly proclaimed that they are against classifying people, that they are against putting people into categories, they are against bigotry. Yet now, that seems to be the new norm, particularly Hillary Clinton. She wants to classify people, and she wants to classify people as being undereducated or uneducated and white, which, of course, is racist as far as I'm concerned, and that we're not supposed to be worthy of voting. And of course, in her mind, anybody who doesn't support her, anybody who doesn't give to the Clinton Foundation, anybody who is not willing to pay her a bill exorbitant amounts of money to make speeches in order to get favors, and if you're not a member of the Hollywood elite, by the way, the Hollywood elite, most of the people support Hillary Clinton. I've researched them. Very, very few of them have college degrees. But that doesn't matter because you're rich and famous and you support Hillary. So therefore, it's okay as far as Hillary is concerned. As long as you support her, as long as you support the Clinton Foundation, you're a good person. It's the rest of us out there who are not worthy of being citizens of the United States. We're only worthy of being subjects of Obama and now Hillary if she gets elected. <clears throat> and that's the way they look at us. They look at us as subjects. And this is something that's absolutely terrifying to me because this is what I've been talking about for years, that this was the way the progressives were heading. They're dumbing down America's children. Education system in this country is becoming a disaster. High schools are not teaching our kids the basics. They're doing social engineering instead. Colleges, for the most part, are propagandizing students and preparing them to earn degrees that won't get jobs. I mean, how many jobs are people going to get with a degree in black studies? How many jobs are people going to get that have a degree in diversity studies? This is what's going on in our schools. And the Brett Hume on, on uh, Fox News is doing a thing called Campus Craziness, where he talks about all, all the things that are happening on the college campuses and how absurd everything is with the so-called safe zones where students can go and be high from people exercising their right to free speech, or people who might be talking about the Second Amendment or the First Amendment, or might be anti-abortion, pro-life, 
these people, they can't shut them up completely. They're trying, but they can't do it. So they provide safe spaces for other little wimpy students to go and hide. So they don't have to hear all this. So they will not be traumatized by free speech. That's where our colleges are going. And that's why people are being dumbed down. And of course, the dumbing down of society is something that progressives always want. Because, number one, if you're too uneducated to get a good job, you may have to rely on the government to support you. And if you rely on the government to support you, you're going to support the, the people in power in that government. And that's the type of thing that the Democrats want. They want people on the dole. They want people undereducated. That's why the people in this country who have the most problems getting an education are not white men or white women. They're blacks and Hispanics. And the worst areas for getting a decent education are those in the inner cities. Big cities like Detroit and New Orleans and Baltimore, where Democrats have been in control for many, many years, sometimes decades. And they've been in control and they have put people on welfare and kept them on welfare from one generation to the next and not provided opportunities for education, no real opportunities, because they don't want people to get out of the cycle of poverty. They want people to be dependent upon the federal government. Because they figure if you're dependent upon the government, federal or state and local government, and it's controlled by Democrats, you will continue to elect Democrats so you can continue to get the money you need to survive. And we don't want you getting educated. Because if you get educated, you might suddenly realize what we've been doing to you for years. I like to be what some people have referred to as a drive-by politics of the Democratic Party. Every four years, well, actually every two years, because if you have the, uh, over four years you have a presidential election, but every two years you have the Senate and some members of the Senate coming up and all the members of the House. And the Democrats always take the same approach to the poverty-stricken areas in their cities or districts or states. They sort of, they drive through and they wave to everybody and they say, we're going to take care of you, vote for us, put us back in office, and you'll continue to get the free stuff you want, and we'll get you more free stuff, and don't worry about being educated, uh, don't worry about uh, having you live in poverty the rest of your life, we're going to take care of you, and we're going to make everything better. We're going to improve the education system. We're going to get you out of poverty. We're going to do everything we can to help you out. They drive through, they wave at everybody, they get them to vote, and then they disappear. Politicians disappear for the next two years or four years, whatever. They don't do anything for the people in these cities. They don't do anything for the minorities they claim to represent. In fact, if anything, they fan the flames of discord. They fan the flames of, of basically destroying the very communities where these people live. Keep them uneducated. Keep them dependent upon the government. 
That's classic. That's what's been going on around the world for years. That's what they did in the Soviet Union. That's what they did in Nazi Germany. Do away with freedom. Do away with individuality. Make everybody part of the class of people who are subjects. Not free citizens. Not people who can work and live on their own. But people who are dependent. People who are, in fact, uneducated and dependent upon the government. And demonize people. Divide people according to race. Divide people according to religion. That's what the, one of the things the Democrats have been best at. And that's what they're doing with this the idea of deplorables. If you don't agree with the progressive agenda, you're a racist, you're sexist, you're xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, one thing after another, unless it's covered right now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Yeah, we're we're talking about the campaign, and we're talking about the division of America. We're talking about dividing America according to class, according to race, according to religion, 
and now according to income. You know, if you are not one of the privileged, and you know, it, it's interesting they talk about white privilege and how white privilege is is destroying the minorities and oppressing the minorities. Well, there is white privilege, but it's not the blue-collar worker. It's not the police officer. It's not the member of the military who happens to be white that has this white privilege. It's the people with money, and the people who give money to the Democratic Party, the people who are involved with the progressives and believe that they are better than the rest of us. And that's what we're facing here. We're facing a situation where they are going to be better than the rest of us. And since they're smarter than we are, since they have more money than we are, we just need to shut up and let them control us. And that's what Hillary keeps repeating throughout this campaign. When she talks about her basket of deplorables, when they, they talk about racist, when they accuse Trump of being racist and sexist and Islamophobic and everything else, they're basically telling anybody who supports him, shut up and go away. You're not worthy of even voting. Michael, your guess will, being, Michael, your guests will be calling in momentarily. Okay. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I thought you'd want to know. So, we should right. be right. I understand Larry's going to be calling in shortly. Yeah, and so uh, we'll be talking to Larry Pratt, who, by the way, is executive director of Gone of America. And uh, Larry and I go back a long way, and worked in the fighting for the Second Amendment for a long time, and it's been a tough fight, and it's continuing to be a tough fight. It's going to get a lot rougher. Because uh, we have a president of the United States right now who's going to do a lot of things that Larry and I are going to talk about to push gun control before he leaves office, if he even leaves office. That's a subject for another show entirely. Uh, I'm, I'm getting very concerned about some possible scenarios I see out there. So we're going to be talking about that down the road about whether or not we could actually have a situation where Obama continues to be president. And there are some scenarios out there that seem like conspiracy theories, but when you look at them, they're not that far-fetched. They're things that we might have to deal with. But in the meantime... We have to deal right now with situations like that in Charlotte, North Carolina, where a supposedly unarmed black man was killed by a black police officer. A gun was found at the site, belonging to the individual who was shot. But last night, they had riots in Charlotte. See, this is the response of the Black Lives Matter community and the just flat-out criminals who want to do something illegal anyway. They want to loot. So 
they honor the so-called black man wrongfully executed by the police. They honor his memory by burning down Walmart, trashing a CVS, stealing everything they can get their hands on, attacking police, attacking people just driving by on the street, particularly if they're white. And this is the type of thing that they they do. And this is what we're dealing with right now in Charlotte. That's what they're going to be dealing with tonight. I think it was 16, maybe 12 police officers that were injured last night by rocks being thrown at them, bottles being thrown at them, bricks being thrown at them. This was before anybody even knew the facts on this. And again, this was not a white on black. Larry? Michael. Yes. This is Larry. Yes, sir. Sorry, I had uh, a problem dialing in. Okay. Well, good to have you on, Larry. And everyone, Larry Pratt now is now with me. Uh, Larry is the Executive Director Emeritus of Gun Owners of America, a very, very fine independent organization out there that has been working for many, many years on uh, the issue of protecting the Second Amendment. And Larry and I go back longer than either one of us probably care to admit, but, but we've been in the trenches for a long time. And Larry has written several books. I think you've got a fairly new book out, don't you, Larry? Well, nothing terribly recent. The most recent is on the firing line, and it's a collection of some essays that I wrote uh, uh, dealing with freedom. Yes, sir. Michael? Yeah, but we lost you there for a minute. Yeah, I just, uh, it went blank. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, I, I do I do my show from uh, my home, and uh, uh, sometimes we have problems, and I blame it on the drones overhead, you know, that want to keep me shut up. So every once in a while, we'll just have something interfere with us a little bit. But... Right, NSA is trying to take care of us. <laughs> right. Well, go ahead and finish talking about your, your book. That I think it came out in 2001. Yeah, uh, it uh, was an effort to bring together some of the things that I've been writing over the years, and it uh, wanted to, what I tried to do in that was to... Uh, bring people to see that it's not just about guns, but when we're talking about the Second Amendment, we're talking about, if we're going to defend it properly, we're talking about the Constitution, and we're talking about limited government. That's what the Second Amendment is there to protect, and it can't really exist apart from the understanding of government as limited by written orders, uh, principally, say, in Article One, Section 8 of the Constitution, and when government begins to go beyond what it's been told to do, that's when trouble gets started. And we've had trouble brewing for a long time in our country as government has grown and grown and grown beyond its bounds. And then when you remind liberals of the meaning of the Second Amendment, they say, well, are you threatening to kill me? And I guess I now have a, an answer for that. Are you thinking of becoming the next tyrant of the United States? 
Larry, I'm afraid we lost <laughs> we lost Michael. Um, there are times that uh, on his cell phone and where he lives that uh, he has telephone problems, so I'm oh. sure he's going to call back in momentarily. But um, tell us a little bit more about your organization and the folks that you're looking for to join your organization, if you don't mind. Donors America was organized by a California state senator, H.L. Richardson, who from his own experience saw that one of the biggest problems that we have defending the Constitution, defending freedom, is that the party primarily dedicated to that, the Republican Party, has also been under the conception, misconception, that you can make deals with and compromise your basic principles in order to get along. And the object of good government is not to get along with a bunch of socialists who uh, would be the uh, those of the uh, uh, Democrat Party and some of the Republicans. Uh, the objective of politics, uh, the objective of the Republican Party ought to be to maximize freedom, ought to be to help get people elected who understand that and can articulate that and have the backbone to operate uh, according to those insights. It's one thing to intellectually understand a problem and what needs to be done about it. And then when you get into the arena of politics, man, it can be really difficult to uh, stay the course. Uh, It becomes so tempting to... Well, you know, we uh, can't we all just get along? Why don't you agree to some uh, uh, some uh, changes? Uh, uh, why are you so unreasonable? Why are you always against everything? <laughs> Those are some of the, the, the you know the the notions that I've had to deal with. Well, that, that's something that I dealt with when I was working with Young Americans for Freedom and the American Conservative Union, and then as a state central committee member from the Republican Party in Louisiana was your, your people that get what we used to call Potomac fever. And they know they still call it that. You get in a position of power, and your first priority eventually becomes maintaining that position of power, not doing what you were necessarily elected to do, not representing your constituency, not fighting for basic liberties, but staying in power. And that's what you have right now that I see in the Republican establishment, and uh, a lot of people who are coming out and saying, well, I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm a Republican. I'm a so-called conservative. But I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton uh, because I can't stand the Republican nominee. The Republican Party didn't nominate. When I say Republican Party, I'm talking about the voters. Didn't nominate who I wanted to nominate. You and know, uh, Michael, that's, a, uh, that's really a problem. And I think that's, uh, that could be one of Donald Trump's biggest challenges uh, between here and uh, an election day victory, I I I ask people to consider uh, Hillary Clinton has never recanted her senior thesis at Wellesley College, where she wrote what amounted to a paean of praise to a self-described small C communist professor at the University of Chicago, uh, a fellow who has inspired. Uh, Barack Obama, fellow that she ultimately ended up 
knowing fairly well, and they exchange correspondence. And I'm talking about Saul Alinsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, this woman is an avowed small-c communist because she's walking in Saul Alinsky's boots. That's the one well, main choice. We need to take our second break. So, Olaf. Yes, sir. Okay, I'll be right back. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everyone. And uh, My guest today is a good friend, longtime friend, Larry Pratt, who is the Executive Director Emeritus of the Gun Owners of America. And Larry, you were talking about Hillary Clinton and her basically mentor that she was looked up to, a communist named Saul Alinsky. Uh, tell us more about that relationship. Well, this gal then goes on to become uh, the Democrat nominee for president. She's never said, you know, Saul Alinsky was a youthful flame, was a youthful fascination uh, of a young girl who was a student at a liberal Ivy League-type woman's college. And uh, since then, I've seen that uh, Professor Alinsky uh, was looking at the world too narrowly through his rose-colored lenses, and uh, I, I would think that I would be uh, uh, more comfortable articulating somewhat different position, uh, view of the world. Nothing like that has ever come out of her lips, um, other than at this point, what difference does it make? And so uh, I, I see that as one of the choices that is before us, and either to not vote for Donald Trump because you didn't support him, and I didn't support him in the primary, and uh, I don't particularly like him now, but Donald Trump is not trying to destroy the country. And I think Hillary Clinton, as a small-c communist, as a Saul Alinsky jackbooted follower, wants to destroy the country. She won't use those words, because, at least not 
so as we can hear him. But that's exactly what Saul Alinsky was all about. And for for people to say that, well, Donald Trump isn't good enough, well, he isn't very good. I'll grant you that. But your choice is a destroyer versus something rather less than that. Um, a, a cowboy philosopher once put it that if you're fighting off a vicious dog and all you got is a crooked stick, then you're going to take the crooked stick for goodness sakes. Exactly. I like that. Yeah, well, we, you know, we've been dealing with Second Amendment issues for a long time. And Bill Holmes America and the United States Justice Foundation, we all often have our names on briefs filed with the United States Supreme Court or courts of appeals around the country where we've been fighting on the Second Amendment. And the thing that concerns me the, the most of Hillary, and there's a lot about Hillary Clinton that concerns me, right. the thing that concerns me the most about her being president is the fact that Right now, we have a divided Supreme Court, four to four, and if she gets elected, she will be allowed to appoint one to two, maybe three or four Supreme Court justices. And do you agree with me, Larry, that all of them are going to be anti-Second Amendment? One thing I think uh, we can rest assured, and I've seen this over some four decades' involvement in political life, Republicans are rather haphazard in choosing appointed people, be they bureaucrats or uh, just judges. Uh, sometimes they get a good one, and sometimes uh, not. Well, Hillary Clinton would be uh, has every indication of being a typical hard left socialist Democrat. She will choose people who are little Saul Alinsky's, as is she. And that is, I think, something that you could put in the bank. Now, Donald Trump has actually, uh, to my pleasant surprise, done something I've, I'm not aware any other presidential Republican candidate ever did, and that was to list a number of, of uh, people that he might choose for the Supreme Court and one of them we had some problems with, but most of them were uh, pretty acceptable. And that's a far cry from uh, Mrs. Saul Alinsky Clinton. Well, this is particularly true since uh, she has mentioned in passing uh, the possibility of appointing Barack Obama to the Supreme Court. I mean, my guy was... And he's a young him. man. He's yeah. a young man who would be there, golly, potentially another 35, 40 years. How would that exactly. work out? Exactly. Well, that's what she's going to be looking to do. She's going to be looking to pack the court with younger justices who are far left, who do not believe in the Constitution, and particularly don't believe in the Second Amendment, and are going to be willing to push forward a socialist-slash-communist agenda. And... uh the Second Amendment is, is going to be the first victim of that. I mean, you know, Hillary's already come out and said, and here's, I love to hear the Democrats in the media, and they're almost all Democrats, say that she's never said anything about destroying the Second Amendment. That's a lie. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I can very specifically refer to what she said would be one of her objectives for gun policy as president, and that would be, she thinks that the Australians have a 
policy and laws that should be emulated. Well, <laughs> before you um, uh, get too excited and break out the champagne, consider that in Australia, if we were to follow their pattern, probably half the guns at least in the United States would be confiscated and destroyed. Anything that is a semi-automatic firearm, be it a shotgun or a rifle or a handgun, would come under the ban. There are no semi-automatics available for mere civilians in Australia. And the whole idea of the Second Amendment is that we would have comparable um, uh, gun power, if you will, to the government, so the government always is aware of a uh, an effective block to any tyrannical lunges that they would like to make to grab power that they are not entitled to have as our agents working as our employees following the Constitution, which was drawn up to limit the government, not you and me. And so the Second Amendment's not there to tell us what kind of gun we can have. It's there to tell the government, um, you're not the only one with a gun, and if you don't watch what you're doing, you're going to find out what that means. Right, and, and the Second Amendment, you know, is, is also not about limiting where we can carry guns. And I want to bring, want you to talk about the subject of gun-free zones, because we had an incident the other night in Minnesota. And by the way, the terrorist attacks over the last few days have really thrown the Democrats into a quandary, because bombs were used in New Jersey, bombs were used in New York, a knife was used in Minnesota, so they can't blame the NRA, they can't blame gun owners of America, they can't call for the confiscation of firearms. There were no firearms used, with the exception of in Minnesota, where a off-duty policeman with a firearm killed this guy and probably saved a lot of lives. So talk about the gun-free zones in this country and how the, what a failure they've been. All but three of our mass murders carried out in a public place have been carried out in gun-free zones since 1950. All but three. Now, happily, we don't have as many that are as devastating as they do in Europe. I know that probably comes as a shock to some people, but uh, all the same, a lot of people have been mowed down because they were following the law, and they didn't have a gun, and the dirtbag did. And from some of the writings that dirtbags leave behind, we know that uh, in one case, uh, there was a very, like a two-year study uh, being done of where to carry out the deed, and certainly cognizance was uh, taken, uh, note was taken that uh, uh, if there's a mall with a security guard with, an, with a gun, then let's look for some other place, and ah, a school. Now, there's a ducky place where you find even little children to kill. How easy is that going to be and how gruesome? Boy, I will make bigger headlines than any other uh, Jack the Ripper. And that's the mentality that we're dealing with. And unhappily, people who support gun control and the legislators that have imposed it don't want to acknowledge that that is just how ugly 
evil thinks. But we know that sometimes from their own testimony that they leave behind. And we know that that's a consistent pattern. The worst murders in our country have been where guns were supposedly prohibited, and that meant in practice the good guys are disarmed, the dirtbag has a gun, he has a monopoly, and he can pile up the bodies. And as I told Piers Morgan when I had an interview with him, I said, uh, so uh, you're opposed to getting rid of the gun-free zone. Do you kind of like piling up the bodies, do you? Yeah, I remember that interview. <laughs> that was that was one of your finest moments, Larry. That was fantastic. You totally well, destroyed. it was one of his finest moments. He really helped gun owners of America a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, but he didn't have an answer to that, and neither does anybody else who thinks the way he does. And what their answer will likely be, if they have one at all, I don't feel safe if I know that you or somebody else has a gun. So even though the, the people may be carrying a concealed firearm, it's not being brandished, it's not being displayed, the, just the, the general knowledge that... Uh, uh, in that mall concourse with 150 people or so, that there might be uh, five to 20 people with a gun, that just, they don't feel safe. And so th the answer is, well, would you rather feel safe or be safe? It's really that simple. Mm -hmm, exactly. Well, you've been working, you've been on of America, we've all been working on the uh, national carry bill. Uh, tell people about that. What is that about? This is one of the better ideas to be before the Congress in a long time. It would say that just as a driver's license, once obtained in your state, is uh, valid wherever you go in the United States, probably it's also going to be valid in a lot of foreign countries, because I've certainly driven with mine abroad, uh, but nevertheless, that you're you're good in, in the other 49 states with your state driver's license. So if you get a concealed carry permit in your state, or if you come from the one of the now 11 states that don't even require a concealed carry permit, just you be um, somebody living in that state, so you have a uh, like a state ID, a driver's license, presumably, that says, oh, yeah, you're from Vermont. That's one of those 11 states. Okay, um, don't even need to uh, ask to see your concealed carry license. Carry on. As long as you're not breaking the law, you're good to go. Same as when you're driving out of state. Pay the speed laws of that state, you're good. Uh, and the same with the national concealed carry. It's not something issued by the federal government but it's something that uses the, the same notion in the Constitution that says that if I have a Virginia driver's license where I live and work at Gun Owners of America, then by golly, when I'm in Texas or when I'm in uh, New York City, I can drive with that same driver's license, don't have to get another one for that other jurisdiction, and the same ought to pertain when I'm carrying a concealed firearm. If I have a permit, in Virginia, then even if I'm in New York City, I ought to be able to carry a concealed firearm with the Virginia permit or the Pennsylvania term permit or whatever 
capacity that I might have. We'll talk more about this in a minute, Larry. Let's take our final break. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everyone, to the final segment. I'm very pleased uh, to have on the show today Larry Pratt, uh, an old and dear friend. And uh, he and I have been through some interesting situations together, including uh, being in Guatemala a few years back and uh, uh, for it's covering the election down there. And it had some interesting experiences there, but we were talking before we left uh, for this break about the uh, uh, national carry bill. And I know that uh, we have, in Texas, for example, we have now open carry laws. And uh, would the, the national carry bill allow that to, to carry over into the states, Larry? I'm uh, not sure that it touches open carry. Um, the main concern that we've had is that if you are in one of those 11 constitutional carry states, you wouldn't be forced to get a permit if your state doesn't require you to have a permit. You'd just uh, be, you know, Alaska for a long time, like Vermont, has had this law. And all you'd have to do is show, if it ever were an issue about why are you carrying a concealed firearm, oh, I see, you're from Alaska. So that's been our main thrust, is that there not be an excuse to nationalize permitting, that is, nationalize, shall issue, may issue, jump through the hoops, will you please, and maybe we'll give you the permit. Uh, We've been very eager to avoid those kinds of pitfalls and to make the legislation that is being carried at the moment by Senators Cornyn and Representative uh, Stutzman 
to be uh, constitutional carry friendly. That's been our main concern. And typically, not always, but typically a state that allows constitutional carry is not going to have a problem with open carry either. Yeah, I'm surprised that the, the Vermont, you know, I mean, Bernie Sanders must be out of his mind over the Vermont being one of those states that, that allows well, that sort of thing. And, and, you know, it says something, because here you've got a, a, an arguably very liberal state uh, in our country that, because of a court decision back in the 1930s, ended up with being the first constitutional carry state. And it stayed that way as lonesome Vermont for decades. Well, evidently, there's not a real problem with people carrying guns without the government's permission because nobody ever got around to even pushing that matter in Vermont. So if in Vermont they can't figure out what the problem is, how in the world are all the other, uh, what, 39 states, or if the president's arithmetic is right, the other 46 states, uh, <laughs> are you going to need a, per- a permit? Uh, that the, uh, the state's driver's license ought to be fine if you're in a constitutional carry state, and we want to see constitutional carry maximized. We don't want it to have to hit a hurdle of, and we're going to have to build in a, a, um, a provision for getting a permit as well so that our folks could travel outside of the state. Uh, and that's been our main concern. Right. Well, something else I wanted to talk to you about, and uh, we've only got about uh, seven minutes left. I've been talking on the show for a long time and been writing in my, in my blog about the U.N. Small Arms Treaty and how, number one, the president had John Kerry signed that treaty over a year ago and has never submitted it to the United States Senate for ratification by two-thirds majority, as is required by the Constitution. And I've also warned people that the law, federal law, that requires uh, if you go to buy a gun legally and you fill out the form that's supposed to be sent to the FBI and the FBI determines whether or not you're on the National Instant Criminal Background Checklist, prohibited from buying a gun, that they're supposed to destroy that form, and that the federal government has not been doing that. They've been using it as gun registration, and now we have Obama in, you know, towards the end of his term. I see him implementing portions, if not all, of the U.N. Small Arms Treaty, including turning all the names and addresses of gun owners in this country that he has over to the U.N. I see him implementing that without ever taking it to Congress, doing it unconstitutionally. What's your view on that, Larry? Well, you know, if he were to do that, um, I thought that there might be a growing support in our country to cut off our funding for the U.N. because it's so obnoxious. It's been a, a uh, at the, the most kind thing we could say is it has tolerated genocide while its own soldiers were in a particular country like Rwanda. It has actually returned people fleeing from genocide to the genocidal uh, monsters committing the crime. Uh, The UN does not deserve any of our support, and getting ourselves out of the UN would seem to me to be a perfectly 
worthwhile objective for any freedom-loving American politician. And uh, if the president wants to try to put a hammer down through the U.N., that, I think, all the more ought to be a lesson to the rest of us that we really need to be uh, disengaged from the United Nations so that they don't have any leverage over us. And since we're about 25% of their budget, we could put a real hurt on those socialist dictators running the U.N., I, I agree, and and uh, you you think that the president is going to, you know, I know one of the things that, that you're hoping is that if Donald Trump gets elected and he's promised to do this, that he will reverse the presidential executive orders uh, on gun control. Uh, do you think he's going to be, Obama's going to be doing more of that before he leaves? There's no doubt that the president will try to do anything he thinks he can get away with. Now, the the idea that he could um, issue an executive order to require compliance with the UN, um, I I think even uh, the John Boehners and the Paul Ryans of the U.S. House would say that's too far. Uh, I don't know that they would because they've been pushed pretty hard, and all they seem to say is never mind. Uh, a bunch of little wusses, really, but um, that might do it. Uh, not because they themselves would probably have their back up, but there would be so many of their caucus that would be getting so much incoming from their own districts that they might feel compelled to tell the uh, to tell the president, "You can't go through the UN. You can't go through a treaty that hasn't been uh, ratified by the Senate. You, you you just can't make up any more stuff." Uh, the, the natives are too restless. And that's what it's really going to take. I mean, if we continue to allow this to happen and we don't push back and all we can do is manage to beat Eric Cantor, but we can't beat John Boehner in a primary, we can't beat Paul Ryan in a primary, well, that tells the leadership they can do anybody thing they want. Mm-hmm. we got about two more minutes, Larry, before we have to wrap this up. Uh, if people want to get one of your books, uh, how do they go about that? And also, how do they go about joining Gun Owners of America? Well, the main thing to do is go to gunowners.org and be happy to have them go to uh, our bookstore and pick up a book. Uh, there's a orange tab right as they hit our website uh, for joining. And even more conspicuous and convenient is another tab to sign up for the free email alerts because it is those alerts that tell you what's happening and make it very easy for you to be an armchair lobbyist hurling an email at your member of Congress. It was that facility, that email alert system that was able to stop the Toomey Mansion expansion of the background check following the Newtown shooting at the school in Connecticut, it was even though it had the NRA's backing and one of the other major uh, gun group, groups in our country, it, it could not pass the Senate thanks to the people that were getting those alerts and acting on them. It's, it's really quite a tool. Uh, it's an amazing organization, and 
I've seen you working with it for so many years, and we work together on a lot of Second Amendment issues, among others. Yeah. So, uh, so the again, how do they they access the uh, the website? Yeah, go to gunowners.org, and uh, that that will uh, get you connected. Uh, we've uh, uh, got tons of information there, in addition to all these action facilities that are available. But we are a lot of, about action, and uh, if we get enough of us to continue to put the heat on these guys, it's kind of like old Senator Durkin about 50 years ago was so fond of saying with his cigarette-stained voice, uh, when I feel the heat, I uh, see the light. <laughs> exactly. All right, Larry, it's been so good to have you on, and I hope we can do this again soon. And I hope so. Thank you. Everyone, please. Contact your friends and family. Remember, this show is going to be archived in the next 24 hours, and so they can go to America's Web Radio, click on the Our Constitution with Michael Connolly site, and you can listen in on this, and you can send the link to your friends and get them to listen in. So thank you for being here with us, and thank you again, Larry, for being on. Great to be with you. Thanks so much. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.